Good to see you all. I think you all know me, but just in case you don't, my name is Catherine. I am one of the pastors here, and we are so excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. Love Chi Alpha. I'm just going to ruin some musicians' stands by moving their music there. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. When I was in college, a few years back now, I, thanks for the laugh, that was great. When I was in college, there was one weekend where my roommates were gone, they were out of town, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I mean, I always found things to do, but a friend of mine, um, this guy, talked to my roommate at lunch and was like, well, would your roommate Catherine want to come ice skating with a whole bunch of people? And I was like, totally, that sounds fun. I love ice skating. Like, this is going to be a blast. So I go ice skating with a group of people, and it turns out a group of people is like me and him, and we're waiting for the group to show up. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever, not a big deal. Like, okay, that's fine. I can wait. So the group of people show up like an hour later, and it's his friend and his new girlfriend, and they just started dating, so they don't even want to hang out with us. And I was like, this is not a group of people. This is a date. <laughs> and I'm here. But at least I'm ice skating because I really like ice skating. So I'm like, okay, let's just like forget the things that are like a little bit annoying and move on. Well, we're ice skating and I'm like, okay, we're like kind of going, but a little bit like not super fast. My style of ice skating, like in high school when we go ice skating, we would like play tag ice skating. Like that's how you rip jeans was ice skating and going as fast as you can when you're really not good at ice skating. But that's what's fun about it. So this is my style. I, I'm toning it down a little bit, but it's still kind of fun. And then this guy is like, can we just slow down and enjoy? And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Sure, we can go slow. So we're like going slow. And I'm like, why are we here? And we get to the end of the night. There's also a coffee shop involved and like weird get to know you conversation. And, you know, a great story for my roommates when they came back. But at the end of the night, he was like, this was really fun. We should do it again. And I don't know if you guys have had that moment, not even necessarily like in a date, let alone one you didn't know was a date until you're like halfway through the date. Um, but that moment where like in my head, he, I realized like he thinks I'm like super sweet and super nice because we had a conversation a week ago in the cafeteria where I said something insightful and I said something really sweet and he took notice and he thought I was like this really sweet person and I ran cross country but I was just like really nice and a team player and I was just like this is why you like me but that is not who I am I'm competitive and I want to win and I get really annoyed when we don't win and I'm kind of loud and yes I can be nice sometimes and I'm a little bit insightful but like you think I'm this person and all of this has happened because you think I'm a, like a really nice, sweet person who wants to ice skate really slowly and doesn't mind being tripped onto, tricked onto dates. But really, that is not me at all. So I politely was like, no, thanks, but no. See you some other time in the cafeteria, probably. Okay, so but maybe, maybe you relate to that moment where you're just like, ah, that feeling of you don't know me. You think you know me and all of these events have happened because you think I'm this and I'm not this. Maybe it's somebody, maybe somebody has made an assumption about you because of something you're wearing or a comment you made or maybe they just see you on a bad day and they think you're like this grouchy person. Anyone relate to this, this idea of like, you don't know who I am and everything is 
not going the way it's supposed to because you don't understand who I am. One person relates. Anyone else kind of relate to this idea? Yeah. Okay. Common experience here where like, especially you come to college and you want people to know you. And when people don't know you, it's just weird and awkward because you're like, uh, that's not me. A relatable experience. Or when somebody tries to give you advice and you're like, you don't know me. Like we're on like, you're starting on a wrong foundation here. This is not like, this is not what should be happening. You don't know me. We know that feeling for ourselves. And I think there's a parallel here with God. Just like we want to be known, like we want to know who God is. We understand that frustration of like, ah, you don't know me. And everything is like building on the wrong idea based on me that's not even true. And so often this is what we do to God because we don't, know him maybe we think we do but we don't know God and then the whole foundation we build is wrong and I think so often God is just like ah no that's not who I am or no like you saw that one thing or one person said the wrong thing to you or maybe like 10 people said the wrong thing to you and we build our foundation off of something we think about God that may or may not be true and I think we can all understand, because we've seen it happen to ourselves, how like we, if we start with the wrong foundation of who God is, everything we build off of that, if he is our foundation, everything we build off of that is just a little bit skewed. When we misunderstand God, our whole foundation is off. And the thing about God, like God is God. Talk about obvious statements, right? But God is God. He is bigger than we can fathom. Like, that's the thing. We're talking about getting to know God or knowing who he is. Like, he is much bigger than we can possibly understand. He is bigger than we can fathom. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, this is kind of like, this is kind of incredible. Like, wow, God is God. Like, his thoughts are not ours, and his ways are not ours, and it is hard to understand. And yet, God has revealed aspects of himself to us. We call them attributes, the attributes of God. God has revealed his attributes to us. Because while he is greater than we will ever fully understand on this earth, while he is so much greater and bigger than us, he wants us to get to know him. And so he has given us attributes, and we see these throughout scripture. We see these play out in our lives. So while he is bigger than we will ever know and greater and gooder, more good, thank you, more good than we will ever know, he still wants us to know him so we can have that right foundation of who he is. And so we're going to spend this semester, the rest of this semester, in this series, God is, which means I am. So down at the bottom. And we want to spend this semester trying to learn who God is and trying to learn the right foundation, the right attributes of God and who he says in his word. Which, based on all these things, I think you can see is a really easy thing to do. Just kidding. No, there's a lot here, and I'm really excited. Um, 
And I think the other thing with getting to know God is we tend to model God off of who we are or who the people around us are. So, for example, we talk about God as our father. And if you have a good father, that's probably a pretty cool thing to see. But if you have an awful father and you hear God as our father, we tend to project things onto God. We project the negatives of our father in real life onto God as our father. And this is just normal. This is what we do. And in that same way, we tend to fashion God off of who we are. We put the same limitations on him that we know we have on ourselves. And in his book, Opening to God, by David Benner, he says, Only when we give up fashioning God in our image and seeking God where we think God should be, only then will we truly perceive the Christ who stands in our midst. Christ who stands in our midst, like, man, we could do like a whole 10 series on that right there. Um, but only when we give up fashioning God in our image can we truly perceive the Christ who stands in our midst. So that's what we're going to attempt to do this semester in the next few weeks is look at who God is. And tonight we're looking at God as creator. God as creator. And when we talk about God as creator, um, tonight we're not discussing seven days of creation or evolution or old earth or young earth or the Big Bang or any of that stuff. If you want to talk more about that, come talk with us. We are happy to discuss that. We love those topics. Um, or you can look at our podcast. We have a podcast, Milwaukee XA, and we had a series last semester called QTOT, Questioning the Old Testament. And we did, Jeff did a couple on creation. So by all means, go look at that or come talk to us or both. Why not both? But we are not discussing any of that today. We are not discussing, not that it's not important. We just like, it's a whole nother topic. There's a lot of topics we're putting to the side. That is one of them. So when I say God is creator, what I'm saying is however you come to terms with the world coming into existence, However you come to terms with the world coming to existence, I'm saying God came before that. I'm saying God initiated creation. I'm saying God created the world, which is kind of crazy. God came before all of creation. God is the only thing, the only being that does not have a beginning. So I want to look at how the Bible describes God as creator. And one of the things, we're going to look at a bunch of passages, and tonight's going to look a little bit different because there's a lot of people who can say what I'm trying to say better than I can. So we're going to look at a lot of quotes and verses and things like that. I really, uh, <laughs> Jeff did me a huge favor by putting all these slides together. Um, but what I love about these passages is they're so poetic. When the Bible describes God creating, they're so poetic and beautiful. Like the authors and God who, as the one who inspired these, he wants us to see the beauty of him creating. And so take notice of this of me. Take notice of this with me. We're going to start looking at Isaiah 42, 5. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spread out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Psalm 104 says, How many are your works, Lord? 
In, the wis- in your wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. Like What beautiful descriptions. Like, they're clearly going beyond, like, yeah, God created, moving on. Like, no, they want us to see the beauty of God creating everything. We then look at Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love that last line. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then next we have Proverbs 8, 27 through 29. I, I being, this is a book of Proverbs, so that it's written from the perspective of wisdom. So, yeah, go read the book sometime. It's a great book. I was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the washers would not overstep its command, and when he marked out the foundation of the earth. I love this because you just see like God caring about the details. You see the poetic beauty of him, not just like, okay, it's done. Just like, no, the beauty of him creating. And then we see John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word being Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God created, and it was incredibly beautiful. But God creating, we kind of think of God creating as like Genesis 1, he created, let there be light. That's like the one we always talk about. Let there be light and there was light. But God creating wasn't just a one-time event. God creating is an ongoing thing and it continues even now, even today. God sustains his creation. It's not just like he created and walked away. No, he created and he sustains his creation. I want to look at a quote, another one from David Benner in Opening to God. It says, Creation was not simply an event at a discrete moment in time. When God called the world into being, God established a reality that was absolutely dependent on continuous sustaining divine presence. So he created a world that is dependent on continuous divine presence. This is why Thomas Aquinas argued that we should never think of creation as an event with a before and an after. Creation is ongoing. It is now. It is the unremitting outpouring of the life of God. How beautiful that is. Creation is continual outpouring of the life of God. An outpouring that is essential to sustain all that is. Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, offers an analogy that I find helpful in understanding the implications of this. Think about a light bulb. We know that when we turn on the switch and the light begins to shine, this is made possible because of electric current. However, that does not mean that the power was around only at the moment we turned on the switch. 
On the contrary, he argues, the light is shining here and now because the electric current is flowing here and now. In the same way, it is the current of divine activity that is here and now making us real. He goes on, it should be a rather exhilarating thought that the moment of creation is now, that if by some unthinkable accident God's attention slipped, we wouldn't be here. It means that within every circumstance, every object, every person, God's action is going on, a sort of white heat at the center of everything. It means that each one of us is already in a relationship with God. How beautiful that God not only created, but he continues to sustain his creation. He was not an absent God who said, let there be light and walked away. A.W. Tozer describes it as, man for all his genius is but an echo of the original voice, a reflection of the uncreated light, a sunbeam perishing when cut off from the sun. So man apart from God would pass back into the void if nothing, of nothingness from which he first leapt. That God continues to sustain us and that's why we exist. Which we saw in John 1, 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God created us. Not only... Not only did he create and sustain creation, he chose to create us. He chose to create you. Kate sent me a song earlier this week talking in the voice of God saying, you were my decision. And we talked earlier, uh, Juliet, last week, we talked about this idea of... um, asking me why did you choose me what a beautiful question and the reality that like Jesus chose her Jesus chose all of us he created all of us Psalm 139 says man for all his genius is but oh no sorry I'm way off okay Psalm 139 does not say that Psalm 139 says for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God created you. Jesus chose you. Yes, your parents came together, but God knit you together. And if we're looking at man and woman coming together and having a child, how beautiful it is that God chose to use his creation to create. Like he literally could have used stalks to bring us babies. Gemma, for a while, thought babies came from trees. He could have done that. But instead, he chose to use his creation. The fact that a woman's body can grow human life, that two people can come together to initiate the process, God created us and then invited us back into the creating process. God created us, but it gets even better because he didn't create us out of obligation. God loves to create. So you see, if you've seen, if you go to the next slide, you'll see our, um, next slide, next slide. You'll see our list is growing. So we've said God is creator. God creating isn't a one-time thing. It's ongoing. 
God created us, and now this idea God loves to create. He loves to create. And I think sometimes we tend to get bored with repetitive things. We tend to get bored with things that don't change and don't grow or routine. Maybe you really like routine, um, but I think a lot of us, we just get bored with routine. And there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton which says, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanging. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person, if you've played with Juliet or Gemma, you get this. The grown-up person does it again until they are nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he is the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. He does not tire of creating. He loves to create. Creative creativity is in his nature like if you look at the attributes of God one of the things he is is self-sustaining which means that he doesn't need anything there's nothing he needs there's nothing he lacks which means there's nothing he gains as life goes on which means creativity isn't something he just stumbled upon or decided to pick up creativity is part of his nature he loves to create even you look at Genesis 1. Let's just read a couple excerpts from Genesis 1. It's a long chapter, um, so we're just going to read a little bit here. But what I want you to notice in this, this is not just like telling us exactly what happened. Like this, this is a poem. This is poetic. So, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And then we're going to skip down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wind, wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And if you read through Genesis 1, the whole thing is like this. Like it, it is a poem. It is poetic. If you look at it in the original Hebrew, if you can read Hebrew, um, it is a poem. We see Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 both telling the creation story. And the reason for that is it, it's poetic. We see this repetition. We see there was evening, there was morning after every stanza because it's a poem. It's poetic. And I love that when God decided to share the creation story with Moses, 
and decided to share it with the world and with us. He chose to do it in poetic form. How beautiful is that? And then if you go deeper and you look at our creation story compared to the other creation stories that existed in this time, ours stands out because ours is the one that shows a loving God that cares for his people versus the other stories which show God's using and manipulating people or creating them to be servants or it's some of them are just really kind of awful stories or creating them to settle wars. And yet when we look at our origin story in the Bible, we see that God stands out because he, it's poetic because he wants to be in relationship with us. Which does lead us to the question, why, why did he create us? And there's this idea, um, so uh, you can see this in a lot of places, but the book Art and Faith, um, is a really good book that I would highly recommend. And he talks about this idea. He talks about ever since the Industrial Revolution, how we view the world, how we educate, and how we value ourselves has been all about purposeful efficiency. And that's, that's how we define everything, by what is its usefulness? What is my usefulness? What am I bringing to the world? What am I bringing to my career or this country or my field or this world, which really raises problems when you look at people who are unable to contribute and how we then view them. But that's another thing for another time. But we define ourselves by our usefulness, by our productivity. What we do, are we contributing? And we think that God created us for this. We think he created us because he needs us or that we're burdened by this idea that we have to find God's will or we have to change the world or we have to fix the world and it weighs us down. It's a burden that we cannot carry. And the reality is God didn't create us for our usefulness. God didn't create us for what we could do or what we could bring for him. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. In fact, God is self-sufficient. Acts 17, 24 through 26 said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of man to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. He doesn't need us. He didn't create us because he had this void in his life. That's the Trinity. Like He, he had community within, within himself. God is self-sufficient. He is not lacking anything. He has never been lacking anything. He didn't create us for our usefulness. And going back to this quote I read earlier, ever since the Industrial Revolution, how we view the world, how we view education, and how we value ourselves has all been about purposeful efficiency. We ask what is our purpose, and we think it's to be useful. We value only what's most efficient or practical or industrial. 
And yet we see, if you go to the next slide, we, oh, I don't, maybe it's, maybe you're there. God is all sufficient, self-sufficient, and does not need creation either. Creation, including humanity, is super, superfluous, act of generosity in God's love. We see our existence and value only in terms of fixing the world. The gospel of a creator who acts out of love, not necessity, liberates us from this bondage. God didn't create us to be useful. He created us because he loves us, because he wants to be in relationship with us. This idea that the deepest way of knowing something is the way a maker knows what it's created. And the deepest way to be known is as something created and made by the one who created it. Also from the book Art and Faith. God wants to be in relationship with us. He created us because he wanted to, because he loves us, because he's a creator who doesn't need anything to be fulfilled but wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to know us and be known by us. Ephesians three seventeen through 19, which we read at the first service if you were here, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Second Corinthians 5.19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God wants to be in relationship with us so much that he not only created us, he sent Jesus. He came, God incarnate, to this world to know us, to be in relationship with us. So God does not need us. He did not create us for our, use, create us for our usefulness. But he wants us. God created us because he wants us. He is the creator, and we are his creation. And if this is true, maybe this feels too good to be true, but what a beautiful thing. If this is true, it changes everything. It changes the whole foundation we walk on because we're no longer doing things to earn his love or to earn his relationship. Because we already have it. We already have it. And so instead, we do these things out of love. Because he loved us, and we want to love him in return. If this is true, that God is creator and doesn't need us, but wants us, it means that I'm not here created because God depends on me. I'm here because he loves me. 
and he wants to know me in a way that only a creator can. He does know us in a way that only a creator can. God is the creator, which means I am created. But let's flip this. I am created, which means I am chosen. I am chosen by God. The same God that stretched out the heavens and set the boundaries of the oceans. I am created, which means I am loved. I am created, which means I am not self-sufficient. I am created, which means I can trust my creator. And all of these things can feel really scary. This idea of not being self-sufficient, of not being created for our usefulness, like it kind of goes against everything that's ingrained in us, in our world, in our culture, in ourselves. But when we realize, when we flip this upside down, when we realize that we are fully loved and fully accepted without having done anything, this goes back to fall retreat where God affirmed Jesus before Jesus did his public ministry. God loves you because he created you. And what a freeing idea this is. When this is our foundation, that God is creator, which means I am created, it's a beautiful foundation to build off of. So what is our response? And the worship team's going to come up in just a minute. Maybe Jeff wants to come up for, I don't know. Maybe not. I think he doesn't want to. So what is our response? I think the first thing we do is we talk to God. If this is, seems too good to be true, then tell him. That's okay. That's kind of awesome. Like, that's not a bad thing to believe something that, like, this is, this is a core foundation of what we believe. Talk to him about it. The second thing we do is we worship him. We worship him not to earn his love because we already have it. We worship him because how do we not? How do we not worship a God who created everything, who doesn't just want to use us, but who wants to know us? worship a God who not only created everything but loves us deeply we want to ascribe him the honor and glory that he deserves we want to delight in him and this is the incredible thing that as we delight in him he wants to delight in us all we see is our mistakes our messes our stresses our homework all these things all the things we're doing wrong but Jesus looks at us and says yeah but I made you and I love you. When we realize that God is creator and we are created, it changes everything. So we're going to um, do another song of worship because we want to worship him. Um, I'm going to pray, but I just want to encourage you to um, talk with him if that's what you need to do 
or just worship him, praise him, delight in him, all pressure gone, let him delight in you. So I'm going to pray really quickly, but I want to ask the question, um, if this is really hitting home for you, if you want to know God's love in a deep way as his created being in a way that you've never known before, um, would you just raise your hand? I realize I didn't do the whole close your eyes things, but that's okay. Like, that's okay. Thank you. I want to pray for each of you. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that though you need nothing, you are fully satisfied in and of yourself. You are self-sufficient, self-existing. That you chose to create us. That you chose to enter into relationship with us. And even when we said, hey, actually, we don't don't like this. We want to be the ones in charge. You said, that's okay. I'm going to send Jesus now. God, I thank you that you are our creator and you want to know us in a way that only a creator can know its creation. God, I pray that everyone here will know that so deeply tonight, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will speak to each one of us tonight and just whisper softly how loved we are, how known we are. Speak to each one of us tonight, Jesus. And God, as we move forward, we want to delight in you. We want to honor you and give you glory Help us to find peace and comfort in the reality that you are creator, which means I am created. I am created, which means I am chosen. I am created, which means I am loved. I am created, which means I am not self-sufficient. I am created, which means I can trust you. 